2: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: He he really has a deep animosity to the press. So keep reminding yourself, this is not normal. And we've normalized it already. Less than a week
2: after the election is over, suddenly Washington is going about its business, talking about who's going to get what jobs. And you would think that Mitt Romney had won. It's a hallucination. Hello and welcome to TrumpCast, the show about the man who says his transition is going so smoothly. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. How smoothly? So smoothly that world leaders don't know how to get him on the phone. So smoothly that the Prime Minister of Japan didn't know where or when they were supposed to meet today in New York. So smoothly that he fired the guy who was supposed to be running his transition, Chris Christie and put his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, in charge. So smoothly that the son-in-law, who by most accounts is not the sharpest tool in the shed, just purged the whole foreign policy team. Meanwhile, it looks increasingly like the Trump family is in charge, and that there is going to be very little distinction, if any, between the family's interest and the national interest, as told by Donald Trump. I'm going to speak to a journalist who has been looking at all the potential for conflicts of interest. Paul Waldman of The Washington Post, right after we do the tweets.
1: Wow. The New York Times is losing thousands of subscribers because of their very poor and highly inaccurate coverage of the Trump phenomena. Very organized process taking place as I decide on cabinet, and many other positions. I'm the only one who knows who the finalists are. I am not trying to get top-level security clearance for my children. This was a typically false news story. The failing New York Times story is so totally wrong on transition. It is going so smoothly. Also, I've spoken to many foreign leaders. I have received and taken calls from many foreign leaders, despite what the failing New York Times said. Russia, UK, China, Saudi Arabia, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and more. I am always available to them. New York Times is just upset that they look like fools in their coverage of me.
2: My guest today is Paul Waldman. He contributes to the Plumline blog on the Washington Post. He's also a senior writer at the American Prospect. Uh, Paul, thanks for joining me on the show. My pleasure. I just read your piece, Welcome to the Trump Kleptocracy, which was sobering. I, that, that's, a, that's a pretty loaded term. It suggests that, that Trump and his family are basically planning to use the presidency to steal money for themselves. Is that what you think is going to happen?
0: Well, maybe stealing might be the wrong word to use to describe it. But I do think that they are going to be able to use the presidency to dramatically enrich themselves in a way that we've never seen before. And you know, part of this starts from the fact that for the first time in 40 years, Trump uh, was, was the first candidate in 40 years not to show us his tax returns. And I'm pretty certain that we're never going to see those tax returns, um, not just because uh, they might reveal that he's not as wealthy as he says he is, uh, but because what they would certainly reveal is the web of connections that could pose serious conflict of interest problems for him as president. So he said that uh, he was just going to turn his business over to his uh, three grown children and then they would run it on his behalf uh, and he wouldn't talk to them about it or pay any attention to it until he was no longer the president. But it's important to understand that even if that were true, which you may or may not believe that he's actually not going to talk to them about what the business is doing, they're still uh, going to be putting money in his pocket whenever the business makes a profit. Right. And so you know, the scenario that I, that I imagined in that piece um, is one that, that I think is, is perfectly reasonable. And you have to understand that, that these days, the Trump Corporation doesn't really do very much building. He actually uh, is in the business of brand licensing. Which is very lucrative for him, uh, and it's actually pretty clever. The way it works is, he will go to uh, some developer somewhere, you know, say in Malaysia or something, um, and say, "All right, you're building a, a hotel or a resort, and I will let you slap the Trump name on it, and it can be called the, you know, the Trump Kuala Lumpur or whatever it is. And then for that, you'll pay me a couple of million dollars a year. It's very smart because Trump doesn't take any risk when he does that. Uh, it, the risk is assumed by that local person, and he just gets the license." Fees. But now imagine Donald Trump is the president of the United States, the most powerful person on earth, and his children go to that developer um, and say, hey, you know, why don't you uh, put the Trump name on your hotel? And that developer, let's say that that developer has close ties to the government, you know, maybe not in Malaysia and anywhere, it could be could be in Russia, could be anywhere. Uh, and And perhaps that, you know, that developer has those ties. And then you could imagine how the, uh, the dictator of some country could tell that person, you know, why don't you give them very, very favorable terms? Instead of paying them $2 million a year, maybe we'll pay them $20 million a year. And all of a sudden you now have a situation where, you know, some foreign government is directly putting money into the bank account of the President of the United States. And that opens up all kinds of uh, really frightening prospects. And they could be doing this all over the world. And so we'll never know about it either. That's the thing. It's a private corporation. They don't have to tell us.
2: There's no disclosure required, right? No disclosure required by him and no disclosure required by his his children. But, I mean, it's interesting. You you point out the scenario. It's very plausible. I mean, Trump happens to be in the business of licensing his brand, basically selling his name. And traditionally, people will license his name if they think it's going to help them sell condominiums or, you know, charge more for ho- hotel rooms, basically if there's a, a premium attached to it. That could still be the case. But now that premium is attached to his being the president of the United States. So it's dubious that you'd be sort of selling your brand value as president to begin with. But then you add on top of that what you were just talking about, which is that by paying a license fee, you can be paying money not because you think you're going to make more money from having the Trump name, but as a way of paying money to Donald Trump and his family.
0: Yeah, and I would fully expect that if if they entered into those deals that he would know about it, and he would know that the government of some country or people acting on behalf of the government had given him a lot of money. And is that going to then affect the decisions that he makes when when there's some sort of foreign policy issue that comes up with that country? Uh, You know, it would be hard for it not to. And so much of this is going to be opaque. You could certainly imagine a scenario where uh, with his children, uh, who are his very close advisors, he is sharing all kinds of information that affects the intersection of his business interests and the uh, the interests of the United States government.
2: But, you know, this is what happens in China, in Russia, in Turkey, which is that the families of the people in power and of the leaders get rich based on people wanting to do favors to the government in power and the favors they get in return. I mean, it's not like this is a fanciful scenario. It's a fanciful scenario in terms of anything we've ever experienced with the presidency of the, of the United States. But it's kind of how power and money work in semi-democratic and undemocratic countries.
0: Yeah, and and it's another example of how so much of what we do in the United States isn't based on explicit rules as much as it is on the kind of norms of doing business. And the Republicans, especially in recent years, have been very adept at looking at those norms and figuring out which ones they can violate without much of a cost. Some of it has to do with things like uh, in in Congress, where it used to be a norm that you wouldn't actually filibuster every single consequential bill, you would only use filibusters rarely. Well, Republicans decided at one point that they could just filibuster everything. There wasn't any rule against it. And so they did. And it was very effective for them. Um, And I think that, you know, another great example is their decision not to uh, hold any hearings or consider the nomination of Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court. It turns out That since the Constitution is so vague on Supreme Court appointments and just says the Senate has to advise and consent, if they just want to withhold their consent. They could do it for an entire year and then just wait until there's a Republican president to seat that person. There wasn't a law against it, a rule against it. It was just a norm of uh, how you act in order to make the government function effectively. And they realized they could violate it and they won. You know, it worked out great for them.
2: Yeah. And the only response to that is public pressure. And if there's not enough public pressure to say you have to you have to confirm a Supreme Court justice over a year's time or it's wrong for your family members to enrich themselves on the basis of your presidency, there's no uh, – as you say, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a precedent. It's a norm rather than, than a statute.
0: Yeah, and if the Democrats controlled Congress – there would be a very different calculation for President Trump, I think.
2: They'd have hearings
0: on all of this. Right, because they, they've got subpoena power and they can hold hearings and that will generate lots of news coverage. But with Republicans in control of Congress, they're not going to be holding hearings to investigate what the Trump children are doing. Of course not. Not unless there's something that is so horrific that, uh, that is discovered by the news media and then Everyone is paying attention to it. In that circumstance, you could see them saying, okay, now we're going to hold hearings if it's just, if the pressure just becomes irresistible. But, you know, in the normal course of things, uh, we're not going to know much about what they're doing. And, you know, there may be some uh, some investigative reporters who manage to find out some of it. But it's probably not going to create sufficient pressure that even Republicans in Congress will think that it's worthwhile investigating a Republican president's family. There's an incredibly high bar for that. So in that circumstance, you know, chances are uh, they'll probably get away with whatever they do as long as they're not like literally breaking the law. So it's perfectly reasonable for for the Trumps to calculate that this is, this is a fine thing to do and they're not going to pay much of a price.
2: Paul, let's go back to what these norms are, what the president usually does to avoid conflicts of interest or the appearance of conflicts of interest and how we sort of know that the president is not enriching himself while he's in office. I mean, ordinarily, well, first of all, he would have released his tax returns by this point, so
0: people would know what his financial interests actually are. Yeah, that's absolutely the starting point that you need if, if you're going to assess whether or not he's being above board. The, the real problem is that there, there may never have been a president in American history for whom it was more important to see his tax returns. You know, most politicians, uh, you know, they come in office and they've got some investments here or there. You know, even, even somebody like Mitt Romney had... Financial entanglements that look modest compared to Trump. Trump has hundreds of different kind of subsidiary companies that he owns. He's got, uh, interests in dozens of countries all around the world. You know, he has this picture that he is distributed of himself next to his tax return and it's about three feet high. And that's because his financial entanglements are so complex. So, but there's no other rule
2: that comes into play when you're president, because pre- the president usually continues to release his tax return as he files it every year in office. There's no rule that says you have to do that either?
0: No. That, again, is just a norm of how people act. You know, If Congress wanted to pass a law requiring it, they could, uh, but they've never done that uh, because ever since uh, the 1960s, when you know it became an issue with Richard Nixon before he was elected – Actually, I guess it became an issue in 1960 when he was running for vice president. Um, You had the checker speech and all that. Um, Ever since then, every president has released the returns, and so... Congress never felt like they needed to pass a law. It never came up before.
2: Presidents have just done it. And then what about it? What about the blind trust? I mean, not every president has a blind trust. I guess Trump has argued that it would be impractical because his holdings are so vast and a blind trust means that in some way you're signing over control over your financial assets. I mean, should he do
0: that? Is that a norm that he's he's defying? Well, he's right that it would be impractical because the way a blind trust works is that you take all your assets and you turn them over to someone who's independent, whom we have no communication with whatsoever, who then manages them on your behalf. And so for Trump to have a blind trust, it wouldn't be enough for him to turn management of the Trump corporation over to somebody because he can tell what the Trump corporation is doing if they're, you know. Putting their name on a building, um, he would literally have to liquidate his corporation uh, and then take those assets, and turn them over to an independent manager who would then. Invest them, uh, you know, in whatever ways that 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 person decided, and then at the end of his presidency, he would turn it back to Trump.
2: When the, when the assets your surname, it doesn't. When you're, the assets your name, it's you can't exactly turn it over to someone else to sell for you.
0: I mean, you're still, first of all, you're still selling your name. Right. That's what he. That's what he does. Uh, so so uh, you know, it, it it certainly would not would not be very practical. But the the alternative is just letting his children run the company. And, you know, as we've said, that that brings in all kinds of opportunities uh, for, for all sorts of people to try to enrich Donald Trump and to get something that they might want in return.
2: So what should he do? I mean, if you, were, if you were ethics czar in the Trump White House, a paradoxical position, if ever there was one that you could imagine, but he came to you and said, all right, Paul, what do you want me to do? I've got this company. It has to, I'm not going to shut it down. I'm not, I don't want to sell it. How can I run it so I don't have any conflicts of
0: interest? I think the only solution would be a kind of radical transparency. The first thing he would have to do is release his tax returns. And then he would have to allow people to make a very careful accounting of everywhere where he has interests, every country, uh, you know, every domestic enterprise. And then you'd have to have an ongoing transparency so that new deals that they sign are immediately known to the public and made public so that we know exactly who, uh, who he's dealing with, uh, who's pointing business his way, who is, you know basically giving him money, that's the only real solution. At least then we can say that, you know, everything looks above board or, you know, there's this part that's problematic and this part that's problematic. Or, you know, if uh, this developer in this country is doing a deal with Trump and that's something we need to keep a very careful eye on and monitor what happens with U.S. foreign policy related to that country, you know, that's that's the best we can do. But he is not willing to do even that. Uh, so that leaves us in a position where we just don't know what's going on, and and who is you know essentially making him richer and richer.
2: And how about the access of his children and his son-in-law to the White House? Having, I mean, you know, look, JFK appointed his brother Attorney General. I mean, there is some precedent for presidents having family members who are involved in their administrations. But what's the right thing to do here? Should he say these people, you know, my family is my family, and they're not going to be involved in
0: policy? Yeah, I think that probably would be. And don't forget that after uh, JFK appointed Robert Kennedy to be attorney general, uh, in response, Congress passed uh, a nepotism law that made that illegal. So... uh, the fact that you can't, that a person can't have a formal position in the government doesn't mean that they can't have an informal position. And there are ways that that could happen. And, it, and it's looking now like his son-in-law, uh, Jared Kushner, who is Ivanka's husband um, is perhaps his closest advisor. And, you know, there, are, you could certainly see how the things that he learns when he's doing things like sitting in intelligence briefings could then be uh, shared with his wife when he goes home at night. And that could end up being very beneficial to the Trump corporation. Um, I guess that, that, you can say the kids are not going to have any kind of involvement in, in what the government does. And that's sort of the, the most basic level of separation that you would expect, but you know, he's not willing to do that uh, maybe because, you know, this is how he has operated. He's brought them into his business uh, as soon as they were old enough uh, and they are his partners and they're going to continue to be his partners um, as he runs the government. Um, you know, I think it would be much more appropriate for him to basically do what, uh, what other people have done uh, in the presidency, which is to you know, do what they can to make sure that their that their family members are not, you know, not benefiting from what the government does and not uh, and not having too much influence over what the government does. And obviously, you know, we've had occasional scandals over, you know, people like Billy Carter and Roger Clinton, who were you know trying to profit off the off the name and the assumption that they could get some kind of a government, government action out of, their, out of their family member who was president.
2: They, they weren't – those people weren't – they weren't oligarchs,
0: right? And, you know, this is – there's this uh, concept
2: that re- listeners to the show be familiar with of uh, Trump's razor, which says never discount the stupidest possible explanation for what's going on. Trump's razor tells you that this family is going to enrich itself – by using the presidency, and that's what's about to happen.
0: Yeah, and it's not like there's anything that, that we've learned up until now that suggests that they're going to act in a particularly ethical way. I mean, you know, you can the, there were plenty of criticisms to make of, of Mitt Romney, say, and his business entanglements, but nobody thought he was a particularly unethical guy. Um, to, the whereas, con- to
2: the contrary, yeah. yeah and,
0: and whereas everything that we've learned about, uh, about Donald Trump's business history suggests that he's going to take any opportunity that he has to enrich himself at other people's expense. I mean, you know, you know there, there are just so many stories that we heard over the course of the campaign about you know, Trump University and about uh, him stiffing contractors and you know, all kinds of cases where where he showed himself to be the kind of businessman who is basically going to you know, take any chance he gets to get over on someone.
2: I've been speaking to Paul Waldman. You can read his article, Welcome to the Trump Kleptocracy, on the Washington Post. Paul, thanks for joining me on the show. My pleasure. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichte is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. And that was John D. Domenico. He's back as our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.
1: The New York Times sent a letter to their subscribers apologizing for their bad coverage of me. I wonder if it will change. I doubt it.